The Missouri, she's a mighty river. Away, rolling river. The red man's camp lies on her borders. Away, we're bound Welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In this episode, I will be continuing our journey chasing the white whale with with Ishmael and Ahab and the crew of the Pequod as I look at part three of, of Moby Dick, uh, or the third hundred pages of Moby Dick. And this takes us to the halfway point already. I, you know, I always remember this novel as just so huge and so massive, but... Since I've been reading these Library of America novels and, and working way through working my way through things like, uh, what's that? What's the one? Uh, the Alcott novels. Um, what was the first one? I, I, Little Women, stupid me, I forgot. Little Women or the the American Tragedy or other novels like this. You know, Moby Dick doesn't seem quite as intimidating as as it did probably a few years ago when I when I picked it up. It is. I don't know it's not even I think the longest of Melville's novels up to this point. I think Marty has it beat out maybe by by a few pages. It's in the same ballpark of length as 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 Marty. But you know we're very quickly getting to the midpoint of the novel and and already to you know the the plots moving along. So this episode will cover chapters forty one through I believe fifty eight. So you know. A handful of, of chapters, and they're really covering the the period from this realization that Ahab is on Ahab is on this quest to kill Moby Dick to kill the white whale that was revealed in in chapter 35, 36, and then we see the aftermath in 37, 38, 39, and 40 as different crew members meditate on what this means for them, and that culminates in the crew kind of embracing this, and we get this kind of really odd image of democracy in which a mad quest for revenge can be supported by by the people much of the following chapters though the the chapters that in the 40s and 50s and maybe this is why i won't spend too much time dwelling on these chapters and maybe make this episode a little bit quicker than some of the later ones and that is that these chapters deal a lot with with whaling and technical matters and the hunt and that kind of stuff. There is really one, though, very, very important chapter in this section, and that's the, the Town Ho story, which we'll look at. So he's, this is, after we've just been introduced to this quest, and we think we're going on this adventure tale, we get this long aside, essentially, where Ishmael ponders different aspects of, of whaling, but he starts immediately after with giving kind of his reflections on this quest. We've heard from Stubb, we've heard from... Starbuck, we've heard from the crew, and now in chapter 41 and 42, we can hear from, from Ishmael, our narrator. Chapter 41 is called, well, it's simply called Moby Dick, and it's about the culture of whaling to a certain degree. It's about how stories pass among whaling crews. It's how knowledge, it's, it's a little bit about knowledge. It's about the grapevine telegraph at sea, if you will. And there's a lot of reflections on the white whale and the stories that have come about. That the white whale is not unknown. Many, even people who haven't seen them, have heard of the white whale. 
and Moby Dick is not unknown. And Ahab's quest is is a quest for something that's that's already famous among sailors. And in fact, the the experience of the Essex, the destruction of the Essex ship, and, and that of course famously led to a few survivors being cast away and, and a handful of them eventually got back to to america to tell their tale one of the marks uh, well-known stories of american maritime history i think they even recently made a movie about it um, so that's all that's in here too that 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 story of course was partially the inspiration for for melville so what we repeat what we learn here is that Moby Dick, in many ways, is kind of a myth of the sea. He's part of the underground culture that has, well, just uh, the, the overall kind of uh, bubbling under of stories and, and things that get passed around from crew to crew. Uh, Ishmael also reflects on Ahab's psychology and when, at what point did he decide that he needed to get revenge on the whale and what drives him. And there's a little bit of an exploration of, of Ahab's own psychology. And also, I think we're, we return to the question of, of democracy and why the crew goes along with this, this quest. And that's how the chapter ends. Quote, there then was this gray-headed, ungodly old man chasing with curses a jobed whale around the world at the head of a crew, too, chiefly made up of mongrel renegades, castaways and cannibals, morally enfeebled, enfeebled also by the incompetence and mere unaided virtue or right-mindedness in Starbucks, the invulnerable Jolality and indifference and recklessness and stub, the pervading mediocrity and flask. Such a crew, so officered, seemed specially picked and packed by some infernal fatality to help him with his monomaniac revenge. How it was that they so aboundingly responded to the old man's ire, by what evil magic their souls were possessed, that at times his hate seemed almost theirs. The white whale, as much their insufferable foe as him, how all this came to be what the white whale was to them, or how to their unconscious understandings also, in some great dim, unsuspected way, he might have been, he might have seen the gliding great demon of the seas of life. All this to explain would be to dive deeper than Ishmael can go, the subterranean miner that works in all of us. How can one tell whether leads his shaft by this ever-shifting muffled sound of his pick? Who does not feel the in irresistible arm drag? What skiff in tow of a 74 can stand still? For one, I gave myself up to the abandonment of the time and place, and while yet the rush to encounter the whale could see naught in that brute but the deadliest ill. And that's Ishmael's attempt to get at the psychology of the crew as they, as they embrace the, this quest that will lead to, to their, their deaths. Chapter 42 is called The Whiteness of the Whale. And, and here he breaks down the meaning of whiteness in Western culture. And for most people, whiteness seems to reflect nobility and, and honor and these kinds of good virtues. But for Ishmael, it's kind of an overall blankness or, or even a kind of horror. It's, it's almost like a terror. And it's, it's kind of a blankness that bothers Ishmael quite a lot. And this is what the whale means for Ishmael. It's, we've seen what it meant for other members of the crew, but this is really um, what what it what it reflects for him i think it's not much i can say about it except that for melville the color white has some odious and insipid uh, meaning that that completely rejects the standard interpretation we give for it or i should say at least western culture gives it i think it has something to do with the kind of this indefinity the fact that it really doesn't really have a clear defining characteristic it's just this blankness 
Then we have a couple chapters. They're called Hark and the Chase, which deal with different aspects of the crew. And I, I like how Melville flips between like the crew and Ahab at various times in the story and often putting them right next to each other. He did that after the great speech where he had Ahab thinking about his quest and then Starbuck responding to it and the crew finally responding to it. Here you have a couple... Uh, in Hark, it's a short chapter, just one page, in which you have two sailors just talking to each other about, uh, kind of on their watch. And then in the chart, chapter 44, you, you're you given Ahab, you know, kind of in, you know, in his cabin, looking through the maps, trying to find, you know, in his mad quest, trying to find the, the white whale. But certainly in that chapter, I think Melville wants to highlight just the oddity of, of, Ahab's overhaul behavior, overall behavior here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say more about Ahab, especially in the context of C.L.R. James's writing about Ahab, in the in the next episode. I think I'll, I'll do it as we after we get through the midway point. Um, chapter forty five is is quite fascinating too. It, it's called the Affidavit, and this is kind of just thinking. It's a it's a memoir on the plausibility of this entire thing, like you know. Two readers who may not believe that it's possible to that the whales are individuals, or have individual histories, or can be identified, uh, or have stories behind them. This is what he tries to counter, and he collects a lot of evidence. And actually, I think this is where he brings up the tale of, of the Essex, and it's a rather interesting account of of just whales as individuals with even personalities and defining characteristics and how sailors will run into the same whale again and again and stories can build up about the whales. So there's examples given of like whales who get harpooned and then later on they have scars in the same places and the same sailor may see them. So this idea of one sailor, Ahab in this case, finding another whale, it's not implausible. And that's, that's what Ishmael un, you know, lays out in the affidavit chapter. And the chapter ends with a warning against seeing the tale that he's trying to tell as some kind of bizarre symbol or, or a, a kind of a metaphor for anything. He says, no, no, this is, this is actually something that happens to sailors. So it's drawn from reality. Um, in a sense, you get, you get the sense that Melville wants you to buy this tale in the same way you bought Redburn and White Jacket as being drawn entirely from life, not metaphorical. Now, of course, it's harder to do because you are dealing with uh, something that's much more clearly in the realm of fiction. But he's he's warning you here that this is part of the life of, of whalers. And it's at this point that we go into the business of whaling. And um, Melville begins this in chapter 46 with the chapter called Surmises, where he basically states something that's, that's probably obvious to readers. And certainly if you are paying close attention to characters like Starbuck, you, you take this for granted that this is true. And that is, this crew is not going to sit quietly by while they, he just wanders the, the seas looking for one whale. That they still need, a, need to make money, that this ship still has jo a business to do. So to keep the loyalty of the crew and to keep him on this quest, he's going to have to do the regular business of whaling. He's going to have to you know, find whales and hunt them. And then that's going to be dominate much of this part of the story is just the, the comings and goings of whale ships, the ships they encounter. I mean, there's basically going to be two things until... We get to the climax of the novel, and that's going to be whaling, the business of whaling, the chopping up of whales, and we get all the detail about that. It's it's really fun stuff if you're interested in it, but it's it's all here, and, and maybe a bit too much detail for some readers. But then you're also going to get these encounters with various ships, where Ahab and the crew of the Pequod are able to 
pass these rumors along. And, and we were told back in chapter 41 that this is indeed how news sort of travels along the seas, that you know, people know about the white whale. And you can go up to a ship and say, have you seen the white whale? And they'll say yes or, or no. And we're going to get some of that too. But before he moves into this, he tells you that this, we're doing this because Ahab had to keep the loyalty of, of the crew. And just on cue in chapter 47, we see Queequeg and Ishmael making, uh, doing some work on the ship together. It's mat making. They're making something for the rigging or I'm not quite sure what the technology is. And then Tashtigo announces that they found a whale. And then we get into chapter 48, which is the, this long description of these five boats. I think it's four or five boats that go out and actually hunt the whale. So we get to see finally about halfway into the novel, some action and, and some actually whaling taking place. Now in chapter 48, it's called the first lowering. We learn a couple of things. One, we learn it's very difficult. Whaling is very difficult. It's, it's also very dangerous, we learn, when Queequeg's boat is almost overturned by a whale. So it's not easy work by any stretch of the imagination, and it's, it's very, very risky. Every time people go out to, to hunt whales, they are putting their life at risk. And the next chapter is Ishmael's response to the realization of just how dangerous this work is as he sits down and rewrites his will with, with Huiquig as the witness. And that chapter is called The Hyena. And the business of whaling continues in chapter 50, a chapter called Ahab's Boat and Crew and Fidela. Fidela is the harpooner on Ahab's ship. We've met the other, the knights in the squire chapter, we've met the three mates and their squires, their harpoonists. But Ahab has his own boat and his own crew and his own harpoonist named Fidela. This is, however, an oddity in the whaling industry. Usually captains don't have their own whaling ship, which is why it kind of comes as an afterthought. It, it seems it even surprises even, even our narrator. But we kind of round out our, our international um, picture of the whaling crew because we have a Pacific Islander, a Native American, an African, and now we got a Middle Easterner. What we don't have are any white American or European harpoonist. So that's very conscious, it seems to me, on, on, you know, on Melville's part. Uh, the, we have a chapter called The Spirit Spout, which is about kind of the false sightings, almost like the, the mirages of, of, of whale spouts that sometimes happen. A lot of this is just the day-to-day the -day things that happen on, on whaling ships, and that, that seems to be a bit of it. Um, starting in chapter 42, we have our first encounter with another whaling ship, and this one chapter is called the Albatross. That's the name of the ship they encounter. Of course, Ahab's first interest when he runs into the ship is to hear news and to get news about, about the white whale. And we get a description of the GAM, which is the way in which these ships communicate and, and interact with, with each other. All right. Um, I think the climax or the most important part of this section of the story, and we're, we're nearing the end of, of what I want to, to highlight in, the, in this particular episode, and that's chapter 54, the townhouse story. The townhouse story is a story that, it's kind of a side story. It's something that Tashtigo, I think it's Tashtigo, heard and retold to others. So it's, it's not really connected to the main narrative, but it really speaks to authority. It's something that Melville has thought a lot about in a lot of his works. It, it runs through all of his texts, essentially, and it certainly does here as well, especially in, in the Town Ho story. And there's one of my favorite lines from all of Melville is in this, in this chapter, quote, 
Now, as you know, it is not seldom the case in this conventional world of ours, watery or otherwise, that when a person placed in command over his fellow man finds one of them to be very significantly his superior in general pride of manhood, straight away against this man he conceives an unconquerable dislike and bitterness. And if he has a chance, he will pull down and pulverize the subaltern's tower and make a little heap of dust of it. So this is a, a sentiment we heard expressed actually in White Jacket, which is when you have a person in a position of authority meet someone who is subordinate, his subaltern, but is his superior in terms of manliness or skill or some other criteria, you end up with this violent response by the person in authority needing to defend their position and their, their power through brute force because they've lost. The, the, you know, it's kind of like the argument that weak Weak leaders will hire, you know, weak workers or something. It's this is kind of the inverse of it. That if you have a strong worker and a weak leader, you're going to end up with brutality and tyranny. And that was like an, a theme running through all of White Jacket is that the leadership core, uh, naval ships, was just so inferior morally and ethically and based on skill that it would they only really could respond with violence of the lash. Now that's all in here. Now it does connect to Moby Dick in that the town hall story does. Part of their story does reveal seeing Moby Dick, and that was part of the backdrop of that story. But the main thing is about this mutiny that takes place. And it's a really good story. You can actually just pull this out and read it as a separate story and get a good idea of Melville's views of power and, and authority. Um, and then this just gets us to the end. I guess this is going to be a, even a much shorter episode than I, than I even thought. And that'd be 55 through 58, which all deal with kind of the imagery of whaling how whales are presented and he has a whole dissertation on how the how way the way whales are presented in paintings and pictures isn't how they really look he talks about the material culture of whales and whaling as well he does think there's some good depictions of whales from some french engravings that he's seen he, he talks about how there you know there's efforts to kind of sculpt whales out of wood and his, he shows some interest in that but largely this is all about the the material culture of whales so that's it's kind of a nice little side discussion uh, on another aspect of, of whaling so i think that does it i think i'm going to stop at chapter 57 and then in the next episode i'll say a little bit more about ahab and my thoughts about the character of ahab and i'm going to talk about clr james and his very famous work uh, herman melville in the world that we live in and and what that particular work says about American history and the character of Ahab, especially from the context of the 1940s. And then I'll look at the material in chapters 58 through through 81. A lot of it is just more whaling stuff, actually, and more stories and more in encountering other ships. Um, we're not yet to our the climax of our tale, we're, but we're, we're halfway through now, and we're going to start to... to we're going to get closer and closer to that fatal confrontation that in, in our final episode in part six. But for now, we're still going to have to muddle through some of the perhaps if, if that's if, if you don't like this kind of stuff, the, the perhaps more bleak and boring and mundane aspects of, of what it means to be a whaler. So um, I guess that's all I have to say. So if you have any of your own thoughts about the meaning of whiteness for for Melville and Ishmael, what is this, you know, does Moby Dick have any symbolism? Should we accept Ishmael's argument that we shouldn't try to find symbolism in any of this? And there's what about the way whaling is depicted in this novel? Uh, is, is it drawn from life? Is it fantasable? Fantasable? Is it 
is it fantasy? Let me know what you think. Uh, send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com if, if you want. I'll have much more to say in the next episode about the character that they have himself. So thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time with part four of my review of Moby Dick. At last there came a Yankee skipper away you rolling river He winked his eye and he dipped his flipper